It's time for Who Do You Trust? Hubba hubba hubba. Money, money, money. Who do you trust? Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yo, it's the Tropical MBA Podcast. Back here with the original gangster host, my business partner, the boss man. How's it going, man? You're not looking your best. I mean, you haven't what? shaved in like three weeks, man. Come on, man. I'm down on weight. That's true. I haven't shaved. I look like the white Suge Knight right now. Yeah. I got a beard going on, but I didn't kill nobody. You know what uh, you and Suge Knight probably have in common, besides, you know, occasionally rolling people over, is you both like the buffet. Oh, I love the buffet. I've been doing my fair share of eating. <laughs> this weekend, Ian and I shared the room with 30 high net worth individuals. We had a wealth event for some of the most successful listeners of this podcast. There's all kinds of people hiding in the weeds. You know what I mean? Like, oh, by the way, I made a bazillion dollars doing this kind of thing or that kind of thing. And that's what we learned about this weekend. So we're going to share some of those lessons on this week's show. Fitting is that you flew first class over here. And I'm actually kind of jealous about yeah. that. What's it like for the rest of us? What is it like? Well, let's just and of be course clear. you didn't pay for it. Yeah, let's just be clear. First of all, I didn't pay for it. So I don't know how many of those people up there do pay for it. Although there was this one guy I was sitting in the lounge. And first class, you have a separate lounge. And so the guy was eating in the lounge. And then he left. And then he comes back. And he had like a Tumi bag and a yeah. Louis Vuitton bag. And I'm like, that guy probably paid for it. I'm the same way. Whenever I'm in the lounge, I'm like, who's the payer? Who dropped 10 grand to be here right now? I think it's probably more than 10 grand on one of these long hauls. I, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't pay for it. But it was an amazing experience actually getting ready to get on a flight to go back first class on Singapore Airlines. I flew over on A&A first class. Really, really nice. There was no mistaking me as the guy that had flown first class for the first time. (laughs) Like camera out. Instagram feed just going. Yeah. Extra toothbrushes in my bag, you know, (laughs) in my PJs within five minutes of being on the flight. But it was a really, really Nice experience. I don't know how many other times I'm going to be able to do this. I wanted to talk about some of the things that surprise us because it's not very often that you get to hang around with so many interesting, successful people in a weekend. I'll just start off by saying one of the things that surprised me is this was my favorite event that I've ever attended, ever. And I just didn't expect that. You know, We've had a lot of really fun weekends, but this event, I really felt at home. I felt relaxed, you know, especially as the event organizer. <laughs> yeah, maybe because we're getting better at planning these events. That's probably I don't part know of the if that's true, honestly. No? no, I was stressed out beforehand. Like for weeks and ahead of time, you know, I was worried that the expectations were high and I didn't it's just a lot of work. And I was stressed. But when I got to the event on Friday night, immediately I felt relaxed and I felt excited to be there. Because the people were amazing. So the first thing that you said is this was a wealth event. So you thought that someone would have a magic bullet or a great idea that you could invest in. Why, yeah. did, you, why did you think that? Well, let's go back to why we had this event. So we were sitting in Tokyo and we were trying to figure out, you know, how do we manage our money? We don't know that much about this. We're pretty good, I think, at this point in making money, but then managing money and like not just dumping it back into our business. We have a real problem with that and we're trying to solve that issue. So we put up a so sales So you wanted page. to hire a CFO. Right. That was one of the ideas. Was like, hey, let's hire somebody to like and manage I want, our portfolio. And I wanted us. to solve it. You know how people just have chronic ways that they try to address things? And for me, it's like, well, let's throw a party. 
Like, yeah. That's the way we should solve this problem. You Let's throw hire, a party. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hire someone and manage them? I want to throw a party. Right. So eventually I agreed to throw a party with you. And so we're in Tokyo trying to figure out this problem. And so, you know, we came here and I think we kind of still have the problem that we had before we came here, but I understand more about how other people manage their situations and their portfolios. Yeah. And so that was nice. And I didn't actually think that there was going to be a magic bullet. But I did expect there to be a little bit more concreteness around this idea of like what to do with your money. But the truth is like people, even at the highest levels, are still unsure. You know, yeah. they're still making bets. They still have a portfolio that's ultimately always changing. But the cool thing is that we got to see how people are actually operating with money. And I think that that was really eye opening for me. You know, some people are doing it through real estate. Some people are investing in other companies. You know, some people are doing nothing. They just have it in cash. And so it was refreshing to see that all these problems still exist at higher levels. Ultimately, I don't think hiring a CFO is the right thing. I think we had the right impulse when we first had the idea of this event, which is you ultimately have to take control of your own destiny when it comes to this stuff. And so really education is the answer. The second thing that surprised you said you didn't think that you could manage and buy real estate virtually. We met some people who were doing it successfully. This yeah, weekend. yeah, that was pretty cool. I think the examples in my life that I've seen of people owning real estate, you know, middle income people and maybe a little bit higher than middle income, you know, it's like, oh, I got one rental property and it's in my hometown and it's like five blocks away and anything goes wrong. Like I just go over there because like I don't want to pay. Yeah. They got to mow the lawn. That's like my retirement. That's your paradigm. That, right. Yeah. And so that's what I was exposed to. And Whereas um, we're, we're seeing like more of a market-based approach, which is like, let's evaluate all 50 states. Yeah. Let's identify the specific criteria that we have. And once we kind of get those numbers locked in, we just buy any property that fits the criteria. Yeah. And so we had a somebody presented on that. And it's basically like a little fund. You know, they've got a fund and they've got a portfolio of properties in Hong Kong and the United States. And, and they manage that fund and they have a property manager on the ground. That seems very critical in this type of situation is to have somebody that you trust buying the properties for you or being your eyes on the ground and then also managing the property. So once I saw an example of somebody that's able to successfully do that from afar, and actually these people are buying properties sight unseen a lot of times. Yeah. Once I saw that, I thought, oh, okay. That's a new reality for you yeah. now. One of the things that I was surprised by, so this would be number three, is I thought if you charged more money, uh, this is like the kind of thing that people say all the time, but it's, it's one thing to hear it as advice and it's one thing to feel it you know, as a practitioner, I thought that if you charge people more money, their expectations would be higher. And I don't want to say that everybody came here and was like, we don't care what you guys do. My point is, is that there wasn't a direct correlation there. In fact, it seemed like a slight negative correlation that these people were more satisfied to have a higher ticket item. Yeah, I think there's other elements to that too. It's more exclusive. It genuinely is more exclusive. You know that everybody sitting next to you that is a part of that community invested a lot and met a very high standard. Two things. I think the people that come to these more expensive events, this generally isn't their first one. They've invested in these kinds of things before. So they're used to paying the ticket price. And I think that that's a good thing because they're experienced at that level. The second thing is, it's really hard to hear this advice because I think a lot of times, especially when you're first starting off with these events and charging people, you get nervous about doubling your price or charging people a lot of money. But it is truly a barrier to entry to have an event in Singapore where it costs people a lot of money to come here and then a big ticket price you know it's truly a barrier to entry and like you said you're standing next to a guy or a girl that spent a lot of money to be here and that's a qualifier yeah and people recognize that as something that's serious in terms of financial commitment and time commitment number four this is something that surprised me is how radical you could see that the difficulty of execution of a business model 
wasn't correlated with its profitability. I guess, you know, you think people are solving really difficult problems and they're putting in a lot of really difficult work and they're going to get compensated for it. And a lot of times it's like, no, you know, and, and a lot of people I think can feel this, like people that have given up on a business after a while and they do a side project and it just, boom, it takes off like that. It's not necessarily the case that if you're working really hard, that you're working really smart. You can sometimes just get out of one business, get into another one, and it's just that much easier. Yeah, you see that time and time again. Dan Norris is like the example that comes to the top of my mind. Yeah. Somebody like that just like made a small pivot, and then all of a sudden his business is exploding. And he's the same person that he was 12 months ago. And you got some people in the room that are putting in the classic startup 60 to 70 hours a week and you know making a really good living for themselves. And you got other people making millions of dollars a year putting in a few hours a week. Your effort doesn't directly correlate to your profitability all the time. Here's what it is. There's a common theme. What got you to your first level of, quote, success isn't what's going to take you to the next level. Yeah. Because at the next level, it's not all about you anymore. You've got all these forces, mm-hmm. like your staff, your marketplace, you know, your leverage, all these kinds of things. So it's hard to, like, get your ego out of it and start thinking of it more like a chess player. Whereas at the beginning, you're more just like a hustler, like really, really working hard to make it happen. On that point, I think the majority of the people that came to this event and that are in this kind of economic bracket are a little bit older. I think that that's just telling of how long it takes you to get to this level, you know? And it's like the guys and the girls that were successful in this group had a level of expertise that made sense to me, like in terms of years put in. (laughs) It's like everybody here, like put in 10 years. It's like, well, yeah, of course I'm making some money. Like I've been grinding away at this for 10 years. So I think when I was younger, like I was frustrated because I would maybe see younger people that were successful faster. But I think as a general rule, it takes a little bit longer. Number five, relationships, even in internet businesses, are king. I mean, I guess it was just surprising and delightful and cool to see it manifest. One attendee said the reason that he had come was that every good thing that ever had happened in his business was because he threw himself into a new social situation. And so he made it a habit to attend things like this. And a lot of people, like you were saying, they'd seek out opportunities like this to get around that exclusive group of people. Yeah, they seek out opportunities to be around people. I heard from a number of different folks. They had coaches in the past and that had helped them get to a certain level of success. And I think the thing with the coaches, like I'm still confused about this because like I haven't met any coaches that I feel will be good for me, but plenty of other people have had success with it. So I think it's really important. But I think the thing with the coach is to identify somebody that is almost like a mentor in that it's kind of like a way to short circuit the mentor thing. Like find somebody that has experience in an industry or is in a place that you want to be and hire them as a coach. So it's like the mentor thing is, it gets a little bit more difficult the older you get, I think. Yeah. For sure. And so the way to continue that mentorship. Let me give you an anecdote that was shocking to me, but made sense. Someone was asked, like, how did you figure out X, Y, and Z? It was like a part of their business. And his response was basically, well, I knew that that person was doing it successfully. So I paid them $10,000 to teach me how to do it. Yeah. And I was shocked. But then I was like, why? Are that? Of course. Yeah. But I think that's a little bit of like getting used to opening your mindset is that he's investing in future value and that's real. Whereas for me, it just feels like $10,000. You know what I mean? Like Your perspective I'm, changes a lot though in terms of like the money spent and then you look at it in the context of your business. You know, you got a three or five 
$10 million business, spending ten dollars to $30,000 for some strategic coach to cut mm-hmm. off a year. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me. And it makes sense at every level, right? It's just a different ratio. So these things, it's still the case that you want to pay $300 for a shortcut. But I just think that that mindset is very difficult to embody when you have a difficult relationship with money, as, <laughs> as I would frame up myself when we got started in business. Okay, so one of the things that surprised me, this is number six, is that group alignment is more important, I think, than the content that happens at an event. Yeah, it goes back to the networking thing. I think that a lot of people showed up because they were interested in the topic. And I think a lot of people stayed and really enjoyed their time because of the people that were here. And again, it goes back to you know building relationships and that's what's gonna take you kind of the next level in your careers. Yeah, so I think it's these relationships. It's interesting for me as an organizer of the event, how much time you put into each one of these categories. And I'm gonna think about that in the future, how you can make sure you get the right group of people and then the content is secondary to that right group because one's going to flow from the other. Yeah. And in this case, it was the people who came to the event that supplied the content. And I think we've been really lucky, Dan, and I, maybe you have more thoughts on this than I do, but part of the group or a majority of the people that came to this event had heard about us through proxy, had listened to the podcast, were DCers. And I think somehow we don't knock on wood, we haven't had any dicks, <laughs> you know, like nobody's been a real asshole at our events before. And I think because they're pre-qualified, what do you think about that? I think honestly, because we're sort of an opaque marketing outfit, you know, like we do our quirky little show. And one of the biggest pieces of feedback we get about our show is like, it's so inside baseball. It's not just for everybody. Like if you can understand what we're talking about right now, and if you're appreciating this episode, you're probably pretty well down the path in terms of, at minimum, buying into the mindset of the entrepreneurial worldview and micro-multinational and a long-term location independence. But probably you have a business like this, right? So I think that that's part of it. It's not just like, Sunday, 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 get your tickets now, 30 space, you know what I mean? Right. So I don't know. That's just my theory. Here's the next one, Ian. Speaking of uh, the sales process, when people signed up, they got a survey, they talked about, you know, what did you want to hear about? And the biggest answers were wealth management, right? Cash management, where to put my money, offshore incorporation stuff, we talked plenty about that, and taxes, tax management. Of course, these things are all important. But if I were to be the doctor after the weekend and diagnose the group, I would say the biggest problem that people actually had wasn't taxes. It wasn't offshore corporation. It was, you want to guess? Management? Management, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody in this room had a staff. Everybody in this room had a team. Yeah. And everybody can get better at managing and improving that investment. And everybody was concerned about process. And I can tell you the most successful people, financially, the most successful people in the room had the most successful processes in their business. Yeah. And that's something that was really apparent is how important processes are, how important these SOPs are. I want to say this about the event. You know, when we framed it up in the beginning, it was about wealth management. That's what we thought we were going to talk about, like you said. And then everybody came and they talked about, you know, management just in general. And I think one of my fears was getting off topic. I wasn't sure, like, is it okay to talk about business when we had an event marketed as wealth management? And the answer is absolutely yes. It's like, if you've got a presenter up in front of the room and they like start to talk about something else, because that's the way that the audience is driving that conversation, like, let that happen. Have you been to these presentations before? He's like, no, we're going to stay on topic. And it's like clear nobody wants to talk 
talk about what the presenter's talking about, but they have this other body of knowledge. It's like, let it happen. And I think that that's a really good lesson for those of you and for us at Throw Events. It's like, hey, if you get a bunch of smart people in a room and they want to talk about something else and what was on the flyer, let it happen, you know? <laughs> the eighth thing, one thing that impressed me was hearing from an authority that all of these tax regulations that Americans need to comply with in particular, these laws were designed when people like us didn't exist. They weren't designed for us. They were designed for multinational corporations. And what's happening now, I really honestly think we're in the middle of a taxation crisis for Americans, in particular with the bank regulations. You know, international banks have to comply, have to tell the American government about, I just don't think this fact of stuff is sustainable. And what's also not sustainable is the administrative burden that American expats have in order to comply with these regulations that were made with Coke in mind. They were made with Pepsi in mind. They were made with Nestle and IBM. And now all of a sudden it's like Ronnie, who owns a manufacturing company based out of Long Beach that imports from China and has a trading company in Hong Kong, which is perfectly reasonable at even a million dollars a year in revenues, he has an administrative crisis on his hands. And any bank that wants to do business with him in Hong Kong, which is perfectly reasonable, has an administrative crisis on their hands. Yeah. And now we have you know Australian friends that go to a bank in Singapore and say they basically had to swear up and down that they weren't Americans, and the Singapore bank is letting America know that he's not an American. Yeah. This is only a few years old. It can't go on. Yeah, and it's clear that the U.S. just hasn't considered what a real global economy looks like and what it looks like to have your citizens living in different parts of the world yeah. and airplanes and things like this, how easy it is to to get to different parts of the world and the relationships that we're building. It is truly a disaster, but I'm thankful that there's people that you can go to talk to about this. And, you know, Phil was at our event, Phil Hodgen. It was a real eye opener to talk with him and his practices and what he goes through on a day-to-day basis. And one of the interesting takeaways that I got from Phil, and it's because he's a lawyer and this is what he does all day, but I didn't really think about it, is like, it's always just a conversation. It's like a conversation between you and the government and in you and your lawyer and things like this. And so I used to get like really stressed out, you know, you know, like when you get a letter or, you know, when you hear about these bad things happening, it's like all this stuff at the highest level, it's a negotiation and it's a conversation. It's not black and white. And that's what we're experiencing right now is like all these rules and laws. It's like they're three years old. It's yeah. like this is a conversation that we're having. So for me, I, f- I feel better. I feel a little bit less stressed out after talking to Phil. All right. So we got two more things that surprised us. One of the things that you mentioned is that people weren't that busy. What do you mean by that? <laughs> So one of the things that I noticed, and I think this is this group of people. So there's these different groups of people. So there's like the hustler just starting out, like cracking at the laptop. This was you and me, like 16 to 18 hours, like can't get away from it. There's the corporate guy that you always see at the airport, like scrolling through his Blackberry. You know what I mean? And then there's this group of people who are alarmingly relaxed. (laughs) And I really enjoyed that because I feel like we're getting more relaxed. And so one interesting thing that I took away is at like DCBKK, you know, where there's some people that are just... Just starting out, and that's not everybody that's there, but there's definitely a group of people that are running upstairs, like after the presentation, to like go to work, you know, because yeah. they got an inbox full of customers screaming at them. And I think that's a really exciting time in your business. But most of the people at this event were not that; they were very relaxed. They were here to hang. They were here to hang, and they had systems and processes yeah. set up so they didn't have to be away from the conversation. I was surprised by that too. Like, you know, I have a prejudice about really successful people. Is like they're really successful, and I'm surprised. Like, does this person, you know, you, you kind of like. Like, hey, I don't want to take your time, you know, like, and it just turns out that the laptops were slammed shut 
and that they seemed to enjoy being around each other. And that was what they were here for. It was a very present feeling. Totally. Yeah, I think you're right. It's like you spend all this time and money to come here. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get maximum value. I'm not going to be worried about what my business is doing. Like that's the whole reason I came here is like educate myself and try and absorb this. And I think that really good thing, I think even for people that are just starting out to realize is what you said is like, just be present in the moment. If you go to a conference, like maximize your time with the people that are there, spend a little bit of time with your laptop closed in the lobby, see if you can create some serendipity in your life, you know, run into some people. And finally, we were impressed at the abundance mindset. You just don't know who everybody's going to be. You don't know if they're going to have gotten there because they're like Wall Street tycoon or whatever. And they're just like, you know, respect my time, respect my time. They're running around and like making phone calls and stuff. It wasn't like that. Everybody wanted to help each other out. Like at certain points, I had to like gut check myself like, wow, this person is being really helpful. And I think that that was just the vibe. Everybody was like, I'd love to take you and your family out to dinner when you come to my hometown. You know, I'd love to help you introduce you to this important banker person. All that kind of stuff was happening. And people were just handing out gifts to each other. It was pretty incredible. It was incredible. And I think a lot of this had to do too with the size of the group. So, you know, just going back to that, it's like, you know, there was like 20 some odd people here and it really gave us time to meet everybody. You know, we were together Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And so you really had time to dig in with people and figure out what was going on in their business and figure out how you can create value for them. I think when you go to some of these events, there's 500 people. It's like, you know, you figure, oh, if I can just meet one or two people to do that with over the whole event, I'll be okay. But sometimes you don't. And here in this intimate setting, it became like very clear, like who you could help. And I think that that was really cool. Yeah, I think for me, like the takeaway is, is it doesn't have to be an event, but get yourself into real life situations where you can start percolating longer term relationships with people like going to a conference where you're going to watch somebody give a presentation about AdWords, you're going to write down what you tell your AdWords person back home. And it just doesn't resonate with me as much as the power that these relationships have over the course of many years to turn into something big. A handful of the people that came to this event have been with this show for years. And I remember being hustlers with them too. I remember, you know, trying to pay the rent with them. And now they're here at a high net worth event. So that's pretty cool. It's keeping each other going, keeping each other supported. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. I don't know if this episode was that, that actionable, you know, but I feel like I hope some people got the value out of hearing like an exciting experience through our eyes. Also, it's great to have you back on the show. And I figured maybe we could do a little bit of rap and reviews. Oh, yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> so this week we got one of my all-time favorite classic jams. This is Cameron with Hey Ma. Yeah. Yeah. Let it play a little bit. Put your hands up in the air. <laughs> What's really good with you, man? You're not gonna let me in the club? Can't let you go, man. You can't even drink my liquor. Yo, yo, yo. This is Simon Wright. Send us a picture of him on his private jet. That is baller. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of your podcast and listen to it every week. Thanks for the good info and tips you've given over the years. I've attached a photo of me listening to the podcast while on my way to New York City. Check out this photo, man. This is cool. If you go to the blog, we'll post that up. Next up from iTunes, Megzi from Australia. We've been digital nomads since 2013, but there's always so much more to learn. Thanks, guys, for offering up an interesting podcast, and we look forward to listening every single week. TR 
RG2SF says, Stupid good! Five stars! These two homies are boss hog gangsters. Ian and Dan are as real as the streets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find myself consistently nodding my head and agreeing with everything they're saying. The way they approach business, life in general, is aggressive, contrarian, and pragmatic as hell. Five stars. Five stars for days. Keep it. <laughs> Five stars from Boy Thorn in the UK. Dan and Ian not only evangelize about digital nomadism, they're also living wonderfully by it. Living wonderfully. That's what we're doing. Keep it up and hopefully one day see you in Asia. Yes, sir. All right. Why is beyond their years? I don't know. I, mean, I don't know about that. I don't that. know. You, you probably don't know me in real life. It's like if you saw some of the IRL, dumb things man. that I do. IRL. Yeah. yeah. So we're in Singapore. You're leaving. That's I'm it. leaving, getting on a plane. I'm going to see you, what, a couple months? Man, that's sad. Yeah. We should do this more often. We should do it more often. All right. All right. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning. 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.